and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 1 of the official Copper and Blue podcast. We are finally back. Oilers hockey is back as the Oilers open up the preseason as we are recording this in their first game against the Calgary Flames. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson. Joining me are my lovely co-hosts, Corey Travers and Shona Hickmore. Guys, it's been a long, turbulent few months without hockey. We've had a lot to say on Twitter about uh, the Oilers moves. And now we're finally here with hockey being played. So how are you guys' feelings as we enter this preseason, uh, this preseason section of the season? Yeah, it's cool. You know, good to be back. I'm feeling good. They haven't lost a game yet this year. Undefeated for sure. I'm not mad about anything right now, bringing a good attitude into this week's podcast. So, Which is rare. We usually don't have a good attitude. (laughs) Yeah. That's okay. Corey can bring a good attitude. I'm mad about everything they did in the offseason just about so oh no me too me too i try to have some glimmer of hope on uh, the opening of preseason because hey that's what we got and this team has uh, has me under their thumb i'm gonna cheer for them through mostly everything so yeah no I, i'm excited to see um how their preseason and how their um their ahl guys shake out because they've really got to start looking to that um development pool because they're not going to have a lot of a wiggle room around anything else for the next little bit so I'm excited to see who could make the cut or who could make an impact because I think that's going to be really important for them this year yeah who they can bring up in injuries uh, if there's injuries and that kind of stuff because I I just don't see them having enough uh wiggle room or smarts to be doing like the fancy plays that Toronto's been doing for their roster so yeah, for sure. And uh it's gonna be a big thing, I think. Oh, as it as it always is, and as the Oilers never seem to learn, but hey, they have some forward depth this year. The defense, goaltending, a little shaky, but we'll get to that in this uh this week's episode. So shaky. this this year's uh edition of the Copper and Blue podcast will be a little bit more consistent. We're starting at the beginning of preseason rather than the middle of the season like last year. So we're gonna be trying to record every Sunday night and getting podcasts out every Monday at noon mountain time here in Edmonton and uh yeah so we're, we're we're really excited to be getting going again for season two and uh like I said off the top of the show the Oilers are currently in action as we speak in their preseason opener in Calgary against the Flames um no big guns are in the lineup Connor McDavid Leon Dreisaitl Nugent Hopkins everyone of note is really not playing in this game but what we do have is an intriguing top six for the Oilers right now they have um I believe it is. Let me just pull this up so I don't get this wrong. It's uh, Benson, Marodi, and McLeod are the te- is the team's top line today. And then the second line is Devin Shore, Brendan Perlini, and Kyle Turris. Now those are two very different lines. Uh, what do you guys think about? Uh, and they're all they're all fighting for spots in that bottom six. So who do you guys got your money on here outperforming who in this first preseason game? Yeah, I like, uh, sorry to cut you off there. I was just going to say, I think it's a bipolar top six. Oh, for sure. No no kidding. No, I I like that. I mean, it's going to look a lot like what our, you know, a lot of our bottom six and extra forwards will look like. So they are important players to keep an eye on. I I really like the Bakersfield trio, the McLeod, Marodi, and Benson. Uh, I'm, you know, just excited to see what they can do. Obviously, we've seen a little bit more of McLeod at the top level. Benson, we saw, I think, seven games of him two years ago. I 
I like the way he looked back then. He's been a consistent performer down in Bakersfield. So I like both of those guys uh, to make a good push. McLeod definitely, I think, is pretty comfortably going to make the team. Yeah, Benson, I'm not, I'm not as confident about Benson, but I do think that he's definitely a guy who can really push for a spot. And then, uh, you know, aside from those three, if I were to pick a favorite of the three who are playing on the other line, I, I kind of, I'm excited to see Perlini because I, I remember he could really shoot the puck. And uh, that's something that teams don't often really look for in a third or fourth liner. But I mean, if we're ever going to get to the four lines, who can actually put the puck in the net. Oh, we could do worse than him. <laughs> The fabled four scoring lines, which I, I don't think the Oilers have ever accomplished, even in their glory days. Did they really have four scoring lines? That's before my time. Sure, because everything was a scoring line back in the 80s. Yeah, they had one super scoring line. So. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Benson has come to camp and he's looked fantastic from all accounts. Is uh, I remember in arguments, various arguments over the summer that I've had with people, the thing that everyone pointed to was his skating ability. And from how he was talked about it, it was a miracle to even see him on skates um, from what I've heard. But uh, uh, he's looked good. Preston, it's always super interesting to me when people sit there and they shit on Benson. There's our explicit tag again. Sorry, guys. Um, the shit so really get you the explicit tag? The I shit? think so. I think so. Because you say it three or four times because you're incredulous that it gets you the tag and you say shit again <laughs> and again. Yeah, okay. But we're talking about the Oilers. Well, they should just, give us an exempt, exemption. It's <laughs> just um, like it's surreal to me that people don't remember that like not that long ago, Benson was one of the few players um, the Western Hockey League was literally considering for an exceptional player status. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's not, oh, he can't skate. Oh, he can't skate. Okay, except, you know, he's been a consistent performer since he was, you know, in way before you know who else had, You know who else had skating problems in their, their first few years of uh, NHL hockey was Leon Dreisaitl. I remember his first season, a lot of people were on him for his skating ability. It's something that players can improve. Um, we've seen lots of players over the years uh, have skating difficulties, go into the summer working on and come back and their skating's fine. I think Evan Bouchard is another guy that has a lot of question marks around his skating, but he's looked fantastic at the NHL level. And I've had also, lots, I've seen, go ahead. I love that everyone who's ragging on his skating is like guys who haven't skated in like 10 years, like <laughs> come on, you yeah. know, like you're evaluating his skating and saying he's deficient on some level, like guys, the rest of us are barely like wobbling our way across the rink. So like calm down, you know, I would assume mm -hmm. that you don't get to be an elite athlete without putting in some level of work you know yeah for sure and I, I that that line that that benson mcleod marodi line has been lighting it on fire in scrimmages uh for inter-squad scrimmages at training camp and they were good in the rookie camp um actually i don't think all of them i don't think they're at the rookie camp never mind um but uh the they ahl good. they were fantastic they, yeah in the ahl year. they were fantastic <laughs> and yeah. it seems like i'm in the boat of wanting to see them at the nhl level but it looks like uh it sounds like that Dave Tippett doesn't want to even touch that at the NHL level. He put a kibosh on that idea saying, hey, they're pretty talented in the AHL, but uh, not in the NHL. I don't yeah, know why he'd Dave say Tippett that without allergic to talent. Um, 
Dave Tippett is allergic to talent. Like it must make him break out in hives. It, it must be because he's... straight up. I do have talent. one little stats nugget uh, from the Benson article that I wrote just a few days ago for our top twenty-five under twenty-five. He's I know I, you had Benson and I had Marodi, and I was like, oh, we're two-thirds of the yeah, line. Cool. <laughs> I think I did Benson last year too, but he. Uh, He's led all Condors forwards in assists each, each of the last three seasons. So the guy can really pass the puck. Yeah, you got guys like McLeod and Marodi. Marodi can put the puck in the net at the AHL level. Yeah. It's just a matter of, of a Yeah, because he had like Marodi had the most goals in the AHL for any player in the AHL last year. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. These are from the Marodi players. article that went up somewhere the day before Corey's been started. Because we're counting them down. Should we plug that? Should we we have three left? Do we have three left? Oh my God, am I coming up here? Well, we I'm like terrible schedules. Or something like that. <laughs> I think we, we finish on the 29th because I'm the last one to write. Well, oh, we'll still be number one on our top about. 25 under 25. That's a real toss up right now. We don't know. No yeah. one knows who that number one spot is. You guys should tune into that. Stay tuned to the Copper and Blue website to see who number one is. Bouchard hasn't uh, been done yet, so maybe it's him. I don't I mean, know. I don't think, think Puliarvi has been done yet either. That's right. We got some, we got yeah. some big names coming up. Who was, was uh, Yamamoto? Have we done Yamamoto I think yet? He was, I think he was today. I didn't I, I didn't write it or check if it was published today, but I, I think he was today. Oh, my God. That might have been me. Who knows? I've been terrible oh, okay. at schedules. So. <laughs> We're tomorrow. Well, it's, uh, it's Monday. So. Come on, Preston. Yeah. You got yeah, one it's my fault. It's my fault. I take full responsibility. You can edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the other line that they're competing with, uh, we talked about Shore, Perlini, and Turs. For me, I think Perlini is the most intriguing of those players. Devin Shore... Kyle Turris, I've heard Kyle Turris came to Edmonton in shape, the best shape of his life. And, you know, the usual media stereotypes as we hear every year heading into training camp. Um, I'm still like skeptical that he can actually make an impact at the NHL level at this stage in his career. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, that's, it's not like conditioning has ever really been a big issue with Turris, right? No. It's not like, like, it's cool that he's in good shape. Obviously, like my hat's off to him. It's very professional to come to camp in the best shape of your life, but it's not like, that was really what's holding him back. Like Calter has always huh. been Hold in good shape. Do you seriously expect me to believe that he's in better shape now than he was when he was like 18? Maybe it's a relative. I do not believe time. that media stereotype. I will believe that he's in very good shape for his age, but come on. Like best shape of his life. That's basically, isn't that basically what the media says when they want you to believe that someone that like you sh- like realistically isn't, a contender anymore could still be a contender yeah i think it's 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 very like hashtag best shape of his life like i don't i think people it's, it's almost like a joke but good for him this is the same media that said that uh, ethan bear a jacked ethan bear may i add was way yeah. out of shape at last year's camp so who knows who knows who's in good shape and who's not well they're you know at a, a, just a, a normal level they're all in very good shape yeah because they're, <laughs> they're in better shape than most of us yeah. yes I would say almost all of us. I don't. I don't know about our listeners. Maybe I have some very jack listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not really excited about the prospect of that being a bottom six line for us. It's just Shore and Turris were awful last year, and there's no way around that. I know a lot of people will look to Shore and be like, "He works hard. That means he's good." But in my mind, working hard does not equal playing good. You can work hard and I'll tip my hat to you, but if you don't play good, it's just, you're not good. The same Working people hard that told us Chris Russell works hard and therefore is good. These are the shot block people, right? 
Uh, yeah. So like, Chris the, the Russell blocks shots. I test. People. And then we're all like, but Chris Russell gives up the puck, so then he has to block the shots now. But he yeah, blocks shots. He's blocking those shots. It's because he's not getting the puck out of his end. So. Okay, um, so I, same people. Got it. Sorry, people. Yeah, don't want to attack uh, you. I just need to know who you are. <laughs> what, 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 do, what do you guys think the odds of all of these three guys have at making the team? I know, I think Shore is like a lock to be uh, at least a a 13th forward or 14th forward, an extra guy. Perlini, I think, is a 50-50. By the way, Tippett is talking about him. I think he has a chance of cracking the opening night lineup. But Turris, I think, really has to prove himself or else he's AHL bound. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with all those. I mean, Perlini is actually one I'm like, I'm excited enough about Perlini, which is a weird thing to say now that I say it out loud about a guy <laughs> who's like a 50-50 to make the roster. But I am excited enough about him in relative terms to like want to see him get a few games that matter. Um, Turris, yeah, like I, he's not doing it for me uh, unless he's in way better shape now, which uh, yeah, shape of his life, that shape <laughs> of his life. Uh, I I have trouble seeing him on on a, a deeper forward core than we had last year. So obviously we you know we we did weaken our defense to improve our our forwards, but we did improve our forwards a bit over the off season. Um, but yeah, I, and uh, yeah, Shore should probably be like, Shore's actually a great 13, 14 forward because mm-hmm. he's a guy who works really hard in practice and everyone's like, Oh, you know, you better keep working hard or else Shores, he's going to take your spot. But like, <laughs> really, he's not, you don't want, he's not actually going to take anyone's spot. He's just going to be 13, 14 forward every day. So that was a fantastic Dave Tippett impression you had there. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. <laughs> I think the closest we'll ever get to having Dave Tippett on was that impression. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree with that. I just think having Devin Shore in your lineup on a regular basis is cause for concern. Um, but yeah, as a guy who's in practice working hard and, uh, you know, scaring some some of those bottom six young guys maybe uh, into uh, trying a little harder. Yeah, for sure. I have all the time the to roll for him. Because I'm not sure those young guys are going to make it unless we, you know, give Dave Tippett a shake. <laughs> <laughs> it always comes down to oh yeah, but we have Tippett as a coach, so who knows? Tippett's going to be like, yeah, you know what? I really scare these guys if uh, we play Shorzy uh, fifty games. <laughs> then they'll believe that. Oh yeah, he'll put them in the lineup all the time. You know what? It's not even what'll scare <laughs> these guys. Look, you know what's going to scare all the other teams? Like how hard Shorzy works. So let's just keep putting him in the lineup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't. Um, and- and then we got to, then the other big thing happening today is, uh, well, the, the defense, I guess we could talk about a little bit. I don't think there's anyone really of note other than Cuckoo and, uh, and Bouchard as the top pairing. Um, the rest of the lineup, I think is irrelevant. Broberg is on the second pairing tonight, but I don't think he makes it. Um, I'm not sure he makes the NHL on sticks, to be honest. No, like ever or this season? Well, in the next couple seasons, he might in a few seasons, but yeah. I think he's HL bound for I a few seasons. I think he needs some seasoning for a few years, for sure. A lot like, more than people, we thought. People will always jump on, or people like to jump on, because one, I don't particularly like Broberg, and I've never, I think that was a stupid pick, and I've never been quiet about that, mm-hmm. but I'm not actually trying to be negative about him here. If you think about it, uh, Clefbaum spent a considerable, I think he spent three seasons in the AHL, um, yeah. Back when they were in Oklahoma. So, you know, if if uh, Broberg goes down and spends two or three years in the AHL, I don't think that's the worst thing that could happen to him. Because um, I don't think he's, like, everything I've seen for him, I, I'm yeah. not sure he's going to stick in the NHL anyway, but I definitely think if you bring him up too soon, 
he has a chance to flounder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Certainly, it would be odd if they didn't leave him down for a little seasoning after, like, Evan Bouchard, who was 10 times as ready as Broberg at the same age, had to go down to the AHL, be the Condor's best defenseman, one of the AHL's very best defensemen before he ever got a look in the NHL. Why the hell are you bringing logic back to this, Corey? Yeah. We're the we're I, being the Oilers management right now. I think that Broberg actually has potential to um benefit from Ken Holland's overripening thing. You know, we we've criticized yeah. it quite a bit when it comes to Evan Bouchard, and I think rightfully so. But Broberg's a guy that when I look at him, he has he has like he's a lightning fast skater, he's a big guy. I think he needs to fill out a little bit more, understand the North American style of hockey, and maybe he can put it all together. But right now it's more in his in his head that he needs to to figure out because it's the decision-making in hockey IQ. That's a, a little behind the eight ball. Um, and well, I think he's also part of it is just not understanding the North American game because it's decision-making it's, you know, hockey IQ, but it's also a lot of the time, like when you watch him, he's out of sync with yeah. the rest of the players. So like the positioning is not, and he's fast enough that it's not as noticeable as it could be in some other guys, but the positioning is not there. And like, you know, that those kind of little pieces that, you know, they're, they're harping on Bouchard and, you know, they were all over bear and Jones for, um, they aren't there for Broberg. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. If he, if you brought him up, he would make, you know, the level of mistakes he would make would be, well, the Schadenfreude would be nice for me, but I don't think that anyone wants to see their team do that. So <laughs> To be fair to him, even more, like, with defensemen coming over from Europe, like, spacing and gap control is so important for defensemen. And, like, you're never really going to learn it at the level that you need to be an effective NHL player by playing on the big ice. Like, you you do have to go to the AHL or, you know, if you came up through the North American junior ranks, it would be a different story. But, like, you do have to experience that at a lower level until you get confident enough to actually be an NHL-level player. So, like, I have some hope there for Broberg. He's obviously got a lot of tools. That's why he was drafted as high as he was. Um, I, I agree with Shona that like he's not really done anything to impress any of us yet, but there there is hope. Yeah, for sure. And with a guy oh, like Jay hope. Woodcroft, yeah. a guy like Jay Woodcroft over in Bakersfield, who's done a fantastic job with that team, I think he's a perfect coach for him. I think I think he'll learn a lot with him, and and maybe a year from now we'll be we'll be humming a, a little bit of a more positive tune about Broberg, buddy. Probably not. I will tell. I will tell. I, I, I have some time. I have some you time too, maybe. Me, probably not. <laughs> and when we right, say yeah. hope, we're not talking about Hall, Omar, PRV, Everly. That's a, that's a whole different thing. Yeah, oh, you, uh, don't, don't bring those names you, uh, up. You said hope, and I had that um, that Warhol graphic like in my mind. I was like, <laughs> oh, we're going there, of course. <laughs> um, and then lastly, we have Konovalov and Stuart Skinner splitting the game tonight in net. Um, Skinner, you know, he got one game in the NHL level. He won it, albeit letting in what, like six or five or six against Ottawa. So it wasn't yeah, fantastic. That was, that was a crazy game. Um, and then Konovalov, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of fanfare surrounding him. He's done fantastic in the KHL. He's come here and he's oh, looked pretty you know good. Who else did fantastic in the KHL? We paid a lot of money and came over and yeah, I like so Miko Koskinen anymore. still. I still like Miko okay, Koskinen. Yeah. Wasn't Koskinen? Was a bad goalie. I said who did fantastic in the KHL, and that the Oilers group wasn't so hot on anymore. I think Koskinen really benefited from his team over in the KHL, though. If I'm not mistaken, 
He played. I don't think he ever had like a crazy good save percentage or anything. He played for St. Petersburg, which is known as like Putin's team over there. So they're always like absolutely stacked. So he probably had a really good decor in front of him relative to the KHL. Whereas. Oh, um, and I'm just saying, like, for Oilers fans, I always love um, the short attention span or the short memories on some things. Like now we're like, oh, you know, Kanavalov. Fantastic KHL goalie going to, you know, be the next great Oilers goalie. When like four years ago, we were saying this exact same thing about Koskinen and now they can't wait to like, you know. At least uh, there's an age thing with Conovalo, right? Is yeah, at least he's Koskinen 23 years young. old. So we, yeah. we draft him as an overager. He's played for Yaroslav Lokomotiv and he's been the starter for the last three seasons here. And for some reason, my hockey. Oh, there we go. He's um consistently had like save percentages of 930 912 923 winning records every year so you know he's he's played at a high level for a few for a few years and he's looked impressive um i haven't seen a lot of the the rookie games and stuff but from what i've heard he's looked pretty solid um yeah no i just i i love the you know long memory in some cases and the short memory in other cases (laughs) Yeah, I, I think there's a chance that season. one mistake Bouchard made in the preseason will be held against him all year. Oh yeah, no, but. I agree. And then the, all the mistakes that uh, Keith and CC make are going to be overlooked. I'm I'm sure of it. But um, these are two goaltenders. I think if the Oilers struggle in that area, if either Koskinen or Smith goes down with an injury or or just suck, frankly, we could see both of these guys getting shots at the NHL level again. Uh, again, in the case of Skinner and, and for the first time in Konovalov, I think those two I are like, very close to doing something. I like Skinner a lot. I've watched him play since he was a 15-year-old playing for Lethbridge. He's a fantastically entertaining goalie to watch. You know, athletic, good positioning, all of those. He's giant, so he covers the net really well. There's not like – the same thing with Koskinen. Like, there's not a lot of – um places for people to shoot which i always think it's helpful when your defense is a fucking seep um, <laughs> but uh there i really i really earned our we got it we earned it now yeah there it is we got it for sure now um but taking off that box i think that it's uh it would be nice to see him um he had a good season in the hl last year be nice to see him rewarded at least in the preseason to see how he does at an NHL level. Like I know oftentimes you get goalies up and they struggle a lot when they uh, jump levels, right? So jumping from the AHL to the NHL could be difficult or, you know, he could have another performance where he lets in six, but, you know, I think they need to start preparing their, uh, the Oilers have traditionally been really bad at developing goalies. Oh, yeah. So they start uh, doing something for different. a little bit. Uh, hey, and, and then they screwed Dubnik up. <laughs> and then Dubnik went and fixed himself in Arizona. So and... don't talk to me okay. about Oilers and I, I touched a nerve there. I, I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that. <laughs> um, another thing about kind of all of that's interesting is he's not like this uh, six foot five guy. He's only standing at 5'11. So he's a small guy. Don't really see that in the modern NHL nowadays, but uh, no, it's like UC Saros, and I don't even can't even think off the top of my head who yeah, else. Yeah, Saros is the guy that I had in mind, but uh, yeah. they, they, if he's got the tools, he can still succeed. So it'll be interesting to see how he uh, how he performs over how in all this the game. And, really and well. Forward. What was that? Go goalies! Go goalies! Like just shout out Calgary. 
because it's Calgary and because goalies. Like, <laughs> right, I think that's going to do it for our first half of the episode. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Euler line combos. Um, you know, we've seen a little bit of a glimpse of what the top six could uh, look like. Um, the Josh Archibald situation, which of course we're going to talk about. We have never shied away from talking about stuff like that. And then we're going to tee up the rest of the week. So we'll be right back just after these messages. All right, and we're back. So uh, we left off talking about some of the roster battles um, going on on the roster and the the two goalies that are in tonight's uh, game against the Calgary Flames, a preseason opener. Now we're going to shift our focus over to what the regular season lineup will look like on opening night. We've had a glimpse through the first few days of training camp. It appears that the Oilers are starting off with Hyman, McDavid, and Pudiarvi as the top line. And the dry line of Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, and Yamamoto have been reunited. And this is despite all the media uproar about Zach Cassian possibly getting Yamamoto's spot in the top six. So I'm, I'm really happy to see this. And I'm guessing you guys are too. What are you guys' thoughts on the top six as it stands? <laughs> like, good for Tippett. I mean, if this is, I mean, it was a no-brainer. Like, there's no yeah. way Zach Cassian gets in any over any of those six guys. Yeah, for sure. And those guys oh, are all bonafide. Really? We have a legit top six, I think. Like, all these guys could be top six on, like, most teams in the NHL. Like, they're very good top six, I find. Yeah, I think uh, so, too. I think this is yeah. a no-brainer. But considering Dave Tibbetts is the coach, this is shocking. Yeah. I, uh, I'm always more hesitant about Yamamoto than a lot of people. Like, um just I think in a lot of cases his size and his slightness like really uh plays against him um you know at an NHL level yeah he he's incredibly skilled and incredibly quick but I think um there's always this hesitancy which I'm guilty of too of like committing to him because of his size and his slightness Mm -hmm. right like he's not, you know, he's a shorter player. I think he's only like 5'11", 5'10", 5'11", something, maybe even 5'9", I don't know. Um, and in junior, he'd dance around guys because he was just that much quicker than them. But at the NHL, he's not. So there's always that hesitancy around, you know, is he going to be strong enough along the boards to hold down that? It's never that he's not skilled enough to hold that position, yeah. but is he going to be strong enough to hold that position is he going to be able to take the hits? Is he going to be able to do all of these things like on a long-term basis? And I'm guilty of being like, I don't know, like, you know, you get enough players like Zach Cassian aiming for him and like a few bad hits and he's, you know, he's not in a good position. That being said, I'll roll my dice on Yamamoto before I'll put an anchor on my top six any day of the week. Yeah, for sure. I just don't know if Dave Tippett will um stick you know stick he, to this. he he broke that line up and like dropped yamo to the third line which is even worse of a place to put him because at least when he's uh, with that line there are people that can keep up with him when they were putting him on the third line he's out there on his own like he's gonna get plastered i just literally sometimes i sit there and i think oh you're gonna get I fear for your little brains. You're going to get plastered into the boards. Yeah, I, I agree with you in 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 that putting them on, Yamamoto on the third line last year was like just a w- good way to defeat um, his strengths. 
Like it, it didn't help anyone. Um, this year, I think is a little different. I think it would be nice if the Oilers had another right wing that they could put into that second line position because if, if you look at a third line of Fogel, McLeod, and Yamamoto, it actually looks pretty good. Like those are guys that I think can keep up with him and can play to his strengths. Whereas last yeah. year, what do you have? You had like Devin Shore and Jujar Kara. And I, I'm not here to slander Jujar Kara, but he just didn't fit with those type of players. <laughs> but only not Kara. Um, like he's here to slander Shore. Don't. Yeah, don't. I'm here to slander Shore, but I'm not here to slander Kara. I hope he does fantastic over in Chicago. But um, yeah, I'm really liking Except the top six. Don't want Chicago to do well. Okay. I don't want Chicago to do well. I want Jujar to do well as an individual. That's all I ask for. Perfect. Um, I'm also curious about Zach. Where Zach Hyman kind of uh, falls this season? Because I I could definitely see him going to that second line with uh with Drysaddle and Yamamoto because I guess you could consider Yamamoto maybe maybe a little bit of the 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 net driver there but Shona you said because of his side his size it's going to be a little more difficult for him whereas that top line already has a net driver in Puliarvi so it'd be interesting to see if Hyman could slot in there as well but uh, either way you got some options now which is a lot more than we had last year I think you definitely could I think I think on the first line if we have Hyman and Pugliarvi with McDavid, that kind of reminds me of the way Crosby's lines like 10 years ago were always made up where they had like Chris Kunitz and then like a rotating slew of other similar type players with like the most talented player in the world, where it's just like, these guys will get you every puck and then you just do everything else. Yeah. There's and, like a lot of good cycle guys, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, you know, obviously they'll they'll put Drysidle and McDavid together when they really need a goal at the end of the game, but it's probably not going to be a thing that they ride with with four multiple games in a row, uh, which is always, you know, an option that you have late in a game. Not after you, you know, hemorrhaged your defense to build a better forward core. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no, there's no real need to do it full time anymore, but it's always an option that you can go to when you really need a goal. Um, I guess you could also do... Um... And I suspect we see this at some point because Dave Tippett doesn't have a lot of self-control when it comes to keeping McDavid and Dreisel apart. I think we could also see a potential for second line of like Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, and uh, Yamamoto, Pugliarvi, you know, with Dreisaitl up with McDavid as well. Which, you know, it wouldn't be the top thing on my list, but at least it's more, um, it's, a, it's a less of a tougher pill to swallow, right? Like that, yeah. I have confidence that that line can do okay without Dreisaitl, right? But there's a lot of like high energy guys high in their roster now who actually mm-hmm. like have skill, but also like play a pretty hard game forecheck really hard, great puck retrieval guys. who can really cycle the puck. I mean, they, they've got a lot of options at the top of their, their roster to just cycle through those wing spots, which, which is nice because they also, you know, obviously have like two of the best centers in the entire world. So nice problem. Nice to to have. finally have options. <laughs> yes like legitimate options, not Ty Ratty or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, Shona, any, any more you thoughts? You know, that? for a while, they considered Ty Ratty a legitimate option too. <laughs> I, mean, I never he did. had that little heater where... No, yeah, I, he I, I didn't. I got a longstanding hatred of Ty Ratty from his Portland Winterhawk days. Ty... But for a while, the mainstream media was all over how he'd found a place and he was excellent on McDavid's wing and Corey's right, he was on a heater and everyone was like all over yeah. that. That's like the that's 2017 preseason scoring leader Ty Ratty to all of us. That's right. I believe he also was a preseason leader in points at some point. Um, Just say. 
2015 Portland Winterhawk tie rally that I never really got over. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then an, another position outside of the top six that I think is going to be interesting to watch is uh, that third centerman position on the third line. It's going to be McLeod or it's going to be Derek Ryan. It's going to be one of those two guys. Who, who it is, I, I'm not really certain yet. I, my gut says McLeod because you have a guy like Warren Fogle and then uh, you might have Zach Cassian or, or, or someone else, I don't know, on that line as well. So McLeod seems like the better um, player for that position, but you know Ryan's also a very reliable guy. He can play him on all three ends of the ice. He can win face-offs in critical situations. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know who's going to be that, that, that third-line center. What are your guys' thoughts? I mean, I think I prefer McLeod. I just, I, I don't know how many steps Ryan has to lose, basically. I mean, like, he is getting up there a little bit. Um, he was never an elite player to begin with, but as you said, a really reliable player. Um, me saying that McLeod is my preference over Ryan is the closest thing you'll ever see to a uh, Golden Bear slander on this podcast for me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, either, either often is fine. We have a soft spot for Derek Ryan. Yeah, for sure. I've always liked Darren Ryan. Out. Even when he is a flame, I, I've always had a soft spot for Ryan. And nice. I have no affiliation to uh, the U of A. So, Yeah, Corey and I do, though. So. <laughs> we're, we're, we're biased. I mean, we're not going to give you good answers on the, this guy. but No, I think you guys are right, though. He's always been a guy. Even when he was at the U of A, I think I advocated for him when I was, like, I don't know, like a 14-year-old. And when he yeah. went to the Flames uh, – from Carolina. I hated it. I always want him to come here. So it's nice to finally see him on his hometown team. Right. So uh, he just fits that mold of a fourth line center though. You think about it. I wouldn't be surprised if he's at third line center on opening night, but I don't think he's there that long. I think to be honest, I think he starts at the third line. Um, And I don't know if that's again, this is as close as we'll ever get to Golden Bears slander on this podcast. I don't know if that's because he's more talented than McLeod, because I don't think it is. But I think that Tippett has, Tippett and Holland both have a um, preference for, let's call them more seasoned players. So I think that they try to start McLeod rightly or wrongly in a more sheltered position, which I don't actually think goes well for them because if their fourth line's a checking line, again, it's like moving Yamamoto down to your third line. If it's going to run like a checking line, it's useless. That's not where he needs to be. But yeah. I think it's what they do. Um, oh, yeah. They've been doing it with players for years, putting them in positions yeah. where they're not, their strengths are not really uh, played to. Well, you, you, you minimize someone's strengths, maximize their weaknesses, and then throw your hands up in the air when you they don't do well and be like, we don't know why we gave him every opportunity. Yeah, for right? sure. But to be fair, like as we're going through the the roster right now, like there's a lot of pretty good talented players that we're going to end up still having to put on our third. Like, you know, a Warren Vogel is going to oh, be yeah, they're better. Let me, let's be hundred percent clear. Benson, if he makes line, the team, would be a fantastic bottom six player. Yeah, for sure. The third line and even the fourth line should be considerably better this year than they, they have been previously. Yeah, but I think a lot of how well players like Ryan or McLeod or Benson, if he makes it, um, do in those roles will depend on how Tippett deploys them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Because if he deploys them into roles that they're, it's like the equivalent of deploying Yamamoto to check people. Don't do it. It's not gonna work. Yeah, you know, and don't put Yamamoto the player down when it doesn't work. Right. Right, yeah. and then and then. You go out there and you're like, well, you know, 
we're sending them to the AHL because they can't perform at an NHL level. They surely can if you just actually read the room and put them where you're supposed to put them. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I think that 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 old school mentality that the fourth line has to be a checking line is going to be the thing that um, prevents that that trio, that AHL Bakersfield trio of being that fourth line. I think Tippett will be leaning towards guys like uh, I don't even think Perlini fits that role. Is he a no? I wouldn't like. I'd say Perlini's kind of been probably his whole career kind of held back by that stereotype a little bit of like a fourth liner should yeah. not be a goal scorer because that's like Perlini's not really like a top six level NHL talent, but his best skill is just shooting. So yeah. that's always kind yeah. of been a, a conundrum for him. But that's oh, the yeah, thing. It's the same thing they happen. say with the same thing they say about Merity is he doesn't have the skills to be a top six NHL player, but he doesn't fit what the traditional conceptions of the bottom six are you know he is a third or a fourth liner a best but he is going to drive plays and and shoot the puck and try to score so you either adapt your third and your fourth line to what you actually have or you keep futilely trying to shove players into a box they don't fit Mm -hmm. and i know what i do and i know what the oilers have traditionally done they're not the same thing no, I know. I'm, 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 I'm agree with you wholeheartedly. I think the Oilers are in a position where they can really drastically change the outlook and the play style of their bottom six. Now, if they, well, and I think they're going to have to play run and gun hockey, not only because they have two of the best running gun, as Corey has told us all last year, two of the best running gun guys, probably the two best running gun guys in the entire NHL right now, but because they can't afford to not score. Yeah. You know, especially with you the downgrades, that, really need to score. You watch them in that Winnipeg series, and their whole style of play is predicated on being able to score. Yeah. You know, so you need to adapt your forwards so that you can roll and keep offensive pressure through the entire game. Mm-hmm. And I think if you take a chance on doing something with Perlini or with uh, Meredy or with Ryan and McLeod or Benson or whatever. And you mix those guys, you mix, actually you throw a lot of those guys into a blender and, you know, you get decent bottom six, as long as you don't start sticking Shore and Taurus in it or Cassian. Um, Then you could maybe run three, maybe even the fabled four scoring lines. Yeah. I think it's that I think it's if if Dave Tippett is able to realize that this team could have a really good year, but if he continues to try to in, enforce the idea that he wants those third and fourth lines to be those hard checking guys, I don't I don't think we're going to get anywhere. I think we're going to be in the same spot as before because we just don't simply have those guys. But what we do have is a chance to uh, to, to have score like three scoring lines or maybe even four if you deploy them right. Um, another another open roster spot. Well, presumably an open roster spot will be Josh Archibald's spot on the right wing because Josh Archibald has said that he will not be vaccinated, which means that he will miss probably upwards of 30 games if the Oilers allow him to play at all. And it is my personal belief that the Oilers should just cut this guy loose. He's not worth the hassle. He's not worth the headache. He's not our best player on the team. He's going to be playing fourth line, maybe third line. So just cut this guy loose and let another guy have a shot. That's where I stand on this issue. Yeah, I mean, like, 
just purely from like a hockey and salary cap management like perspective it's like okay you can't play 30 games you still have to keep i still i assume you can still get paid his full salary um so you know that first of all doesn't make sense so like even from that like from take you know ethics out of it 100 percent, it still doesn't make sense yeah. but also like fuck this guy like what the yeah, hell exactly ah, Corey, like, welcome to the explicit sure. check you can't i i i i <laughs> can sympathize to an extent that like people are uninformed and they're they're passing off the same okay, agenda I that was passed to them. But I like, cannot. No, yeah, I mean, because Josh Archibald has a job that has given him adequate time, an entire fucking summer, to adequately inform himself. So he that. has no excuse for continued ignorance. It's not like he's a single mom working three jobs. He's had an entire summer to adequately inform himself, and at that point ignorance becomes a choice so let's not let's not give yeah, him no, that one that's actually yeah I, I i'd like to rephrase that not even uninformed because he's not uninformed he's misinformed by some fucking weird bullshit that he believes because he's not very smart um <laughs> Thank and you, like, that's that sucks <laughs> like that sucks that you got tricked by some fucking idiot because you're not very smart yourself and now you believe this dumb shit but like I don't know. You can't, you're in a position where you're a public figure. You can't be spouting off this nonsense. And like, it's, there's a trickle down effect from your ignorance. That's basically making the whole population more ignorant. And then there's people in the hospital all the time. Like you can't like, so for fuck, me, you can't have that on a professional hockey team. Yeah, no, for I me, agree. It's 100%. Couple things like honest to God, anyone in this conversation couldn't do half their job. Would they be able to keep their job? No, no. Yeah, exactly. Second, there are multiple jobs, um, mine included, where you have to be able to be vaccinated for the safety of all involved. And I don't think that Josh Archibald is any different. The choices for me are either I'm vaccinated for the safety of all involved or I don't have my job. I can, Mm -hmm. you know, elect to surrender it for, you know, whatever, if I believe this uninformed and misinformation right and i don't think joshua bull is any different um yeah the rules apply to this guy the same as everyone else that, and that's the thing i've always had issues with at the nhl level is that um societally we're way more willing to it's not just the nhl level it's like alex wiggins saying well for religious freedom reasons he doesn't want to get the vaccine really you know for religious <laughs> freedom reasons it. You're yeah. stretching it you're, you're 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 what did you throw like uh potentially uh tangentially related reasons in a hat and pull one out what i mean andrew wiggins is kind of like the charge archibald of the nba so like he, he yeah but you know what i mean like it's one of those things where it's like did you throw a tangentially like uh hot button trigger word in a hat uh, like five of them in a hat and pull out which one you thought you know would rile up the conservative or you know a radically right base the most um no dude you're going to a province you want to play hockey in a province get paid a substantial amount of money for the privilege of playing hockey in a province where you know the icu is at 100 and what 180 percent capacity with 92 percent of it being unvaccinated individuals where you know assholes and idiots are processing outside of hospitals um and no one seems to understand either the concept of collective or individual rights and how they work societally 
or the concept of negative and positive rights and how they work societally. No, dumbass, you do not get to come and then make this worse for everybody else involved while stirring up a fan base that's already surrendering its season tickets because they're asking for you to be vaccinated and wear a fucking mask. I love those people. I absolutely love seeing people being like, I gave away my season tickets because of this. I've been a season ticket holder for 40 years. No more. They're weightless. No one cares that you don't. There there actually isn't anymore. I've been able to purchase Oilers season tickets since they moved to Rogers Place, which is partly because they jacked Oilers season tickets like 40% when they moved there and a lot of people got a lot of the smaller like older season ticket holders got priced out right yeah I just I just stupid drives me nuts you know and then you're out there spouting bullshit you know talking about your right to your bodily autonomy well Canadian politicians and American politicians are sitting there trying to take away my rights to my bodily autonomy and you're not talking about how that fucking matters so either it's bodily autonomy for all Josh Archibald. You should be, you know, um, out there doing work on that or shut your face and take your fucking vaccine. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think uh, the Oilers have room for another fucking idiot on their team. Absolutely not. Um, you know, <laughs> definitely you, don't have salary cap for another fucking idiot. You guys, you have guys like Carmack McDavid who has been outwardly supportive of the vaccine. The whole team is taking it except for you. It's a, at the point you, the, where they start to be like, okay, well, then you're not playing. It's simple as that. We brought in Colton Skivier. He's like a carbon copy of you and he's vaccinated. So we'll just pick him over you. And but I, I think I, part I, of the reason they haven't yet is because they protected Archibald in the draft, expansion draft. And it's oh, egg on your face. Look good, yeah. Yeah. The, then you have to let him go right now. But guess what? Suck it up. You made a bad choice then. And you're, you, you don't get to double down and make two bad choices. This does not make a good choice to make two bad choices. Yeah, it's so not like turning left to turn right, guys. We won't eventually get there. No. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And even after this season is over and he if he does play, this is going to loom over him for a long time. He's, this is obviously going to affect his relationship with his fellow teammates. I don't think it will be a positive reflection in that relationship i think it will well, be negative and we'll, we'll had the COVID. Team. mcdavid had a mild case of covid right there's people on this team that have co- had covid you know all you have to do is look at the vancouver canucks last year um to we'll see how at- quickly covid can spread through a team and um how badly impacted individuals who aren't vaccinated by covid are especially in a group of vaccinated individuals so no, it just makes no sense from a well, business. You look, even look at, at at Alex Stalock and how he has a heart condition stemming from, from yeah, and, guess, and how he's missing the entire season. Answers my where's Alex Stalock question that we've been having for months. You know, mm-hmm. so just having a guy it. like it's it's just. I it, think that's just incredibly it. insensitive to be out there spouting bullshit as Corey. Corey took the, the hit on this one for me so now I can swear as I go. Bullshit. When you know, guys you know, guys you've played with, you know, are fu- their entire lives, like, who knows if Staloff will ever play again, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. His entire life and livelihood is now impacted by this, but you're out there spouting out bullshit nonsense like it's your right. Yeah. No, I think absolutely. it's a bad look for the Oilers to not be decisive with how they deal with Archibald. I, I'm surprised we haven't heard anything more because you look at the Columbus Blue Jackets, they fired a coach and they've uninvited a, a player to camp because of this. It's it's not that yeah. hard of a thing to do. It's not unprecedented for a team to do this. So I think oh. the Oilers have a golden opportunity here to actually look good 
in the public's yeah. perception and they're not, not taking it and the longer is, they wait the, the problem will be. this is the problem is that the oilers won't because they're like we said their fan base is divided we'll say divided on this subject where they you know you've got season ticket holders relinquishing their tickets because they feel like their freedoms are being infringed upon want 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 um so the Oilers won't. They're not going to take that hardline stance because for lack of, you know, and I don't know exactly blame them for this because they're trying to read their room and their room is fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. And I mean, fans like us who are more mad that they're like, I think eventually they'll do the right thing. I mean, they're not, Josh Archibald is not going to miss 30 games and be part of the team. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But like that, just from a hockey standpoint, as I, as I said at the you, start, you so like, I'm, not, I'm pretty confident they'll do the right thing. You could be but anti-vax like, and still be like, well, he's missing 30 games. It makes no sense. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I think we have to make a bit of noise as, you know, the, the majority of fans who I'm sure are pro-vax and just have to say, like, it's a really bad look because you're sending a poor message as, a, you know, a team that everyone in this province, or at least half this province, looks to as like some sort of cultural leader and you're not taking a hard stance on something oh, that's oh, having a huge impact on like, Alberta right you now. Know, uh, uh, trading for a guy embroiled in a sex scandal. Yeah. I mean, they, and then shoving him down my throat for yeah. three months and then he's not even vaccinated and can't even attend to camp. Hey, Bad looks like shit. that. That's okay. leadership. Duncan yeah, Keats bringing that veteran. <laughs> the Oilers are full up on bad looks. Yeah. You know? Duncan <laughs> Keith is bringing that veteran leadership. He's missing the start of training camp, doing something that he could have done three months ago. The Oilers have been lacking that. Okay, Duncan Keith is bringing that veteran feel to the team that we haven't had in years. We uh, one thing I do respect, he got out of a little bit of work. <laughs> but I mean, that's cool. I mean, I mean, you did the right thing eventually, but yeah, but again, still not that would, that's an expectation. It's not, it's not good for the record. I don't actually respect that. No, it's an expectation, you know, that they should have every NHL for me. It's an expectation that every NHL player should have seen on the writing on the wall, because it's been an expectation that you're double vaxxed um, with Moderna or AstraZeneca or Pfizer vaccines to travel between Canada and the United States for months. So, you know, they've all, even the Tampa Bay Lightning have had months, you know. So it's not that these guys don't have access to vaccines. They're not, you know, unable to access vaccines. They are not lacking in time. To not do it is just selfish, in my opinion. So to leave it till now, you know, and then miss part of training camp when it's been an expectation for cross-border travel for months is ridiculous it's and then for the oilers to come out Makes and so the oilers to come out and not condemn it is equally ridiculous mm-hmm. you know they should have been like we're fining duncan keith for missing the start of training camp because as a as an oilers player under contract he's supposed to fucking be here yeah you know and he was irresponsible with a known requirement to fucking play in the nhl and it's the same with Josh Archibald, a known requirement to play in the NHL. He can't meet it, you know. Again, I mean, this is essentially the same thing as coming to camp in terrible shape. I mean, I don't even re- really see how it's 
like it's it's worse but like even from like an anti-vax really because you standpoint like this has got to be as bad coming in terrible shape to camp because you're letting your teammates down like you're yeah well see preston and i personally think that the less time duncan Keith spends with the oilers the better but but that is a different argument that preston and i have clearly expressed our opinions on on this podcast not a good dude not a good dude that duncan keith is from my uh from my perspective um okay so this this is this podcast is running a little bit long i want to talk a little bit about how josh archer who would replace josh archibald i think is colton skeevier and who who knows maybe it's even xavier bourgeois or i, don't know, <laughs> I hope name. not probably not to, but hey weirder things have happened so maybe but uh that it's going a little long so we'll we'll leave that for another time um we'll tee up the this week in Oilers hockey the Oilers, of course this is sunday night we're recording this or in action against the calgary flames let me actually see if i can get a score on that and give uh, a live update well it won't be live when you guys listen to this but uh but it will give you a great point for when we were recording this yeah it's uh puck is down on period two still scoreless at the dome over in calgary so no score Um, go goalies go goalies and by that i mean oilers goalies not flames goalies you can suck flames goalies yes absolutely go skinner go konovalov konovalov should be in the game right now i should i'll be watching that after this um but the Oilers will be hitting the road on wednesday to play the jets and uh then they'll cross the border uh, for a rematch, a rematch against the Kraken, I should say the Oilers are hosting the Kraken this Tuesday. I looked a little ahead in my notes. So it's the Kraken on Tuesday, uh, the Jets on Wednesday in Winnipeg, and then the Kraken again for a rematch on Friday. I, believe. I am so excited to see the Kraken jerseys in yeah. motion. So well, they, 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 on Tuesday, I'll do a little scouting. I think um, so excited the Kraken, the Kraken are actually, they, they played today, I think, with the jerseys, and they look fantastic. Absolutely just, gorgeous. 110% will buy that for no other reason than I think it's pretty. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful jersey. Um, anyways, let's go do it uh, for the, this episode of the Copper and Blue Podcast. We're finally back. So happy to be bringing consistent episodes, hopefully, uh, for this season. Uh, you can Nothing follow me. spicy. Yeah, spicy <laughs> takes here as well. You can follow me on Twitter at NHL Hodgkinson. Um, and I'll let you guys uh, give your, your handles as well. Corey doesn't know his handle, and I never get sure mine. So I see enough of you I, anyway. I'll check. I'll open it up. <laughs> like I think it's just my name. Yeah, I think I think yeah, you can follow Corey. Corey Travers, C O R E Y, capital T R A V E R S. Yeah, you can all find me if you really want to find me, but only if you want to say nice things, because I'm sick of y'all <laughs> saying mean things to me. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta love being a, a writer or associated with the Oilers fan base, right? Always fun and happy things to talk about on Twitter. Anyways, that's gonna do it. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next Monday.